the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing an issue that has surprisingly arisen in our Tout Wars League and a hyped pitching prospect expected to get the call in a week and a half. Yasiel Puig! Yasiel Puig! Yasiel Puig! Sorry, I just had to get that out of my system. I, the, the the fact that he's called up really excites me because I just want to hear broadcasters pronounce his name every time he comes to play. Puig. And you got you right because I just assumed that his last name was pronounced Puig and you said Puig. And I, I just figure out oh, what Dino Saris pronouncing. I'm sure it's wrong. And you're right. <laughs> For once. I know, right? That pronunciation guide is going to start coming in handy when you actually start getting those names right, which might you might be on the verge of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, in particular, how much contact he makes because he's a really powerful guy. And if he can combine that with a good contact rate, he'll be really exciting. Yeah, he definitely has exciting fantasy prospects just because he has that power-speed combo, which is what we lust after in fantasy leagues. Anyway, uh, every show that we have we always do the most interesting player alive today which is the most searched for player on fan graphs and so i'm always looking to see which players are the most searched for for the show so i know who to talk about and every time there are the weirdest players that make the list not necessarily the most searched for but they're up there in the top 10 and i can never understand how they get there so i want to bring up some of these names because today is no different I have no idea who is searching for these players and why. So let's identify some of the oddest, most searched for players at this current moment. We have Che Swan Lin, who is an Astros minor league outfielder. He's right now the fifth most searched for player. I mean, why is that? How is that possible? I have no idea. Then we have Tim Corcoran, who hasn't been in the majors since 2007 and is currently a starting pitcher in the Brave system. And atop the minor league most searched for players is single-A Cubs outfielder, ready for this, Pin Chie Chen. If that's not an amazing name, then I don't know what is. <laughs> you know, I, I just had an idea. Um, you know, I've talked to uh, people in front offices that use fan graphs. I wonder... <laughs> I wonder if any of these guys is going to be involved in a transaction soon. Huh. That is very, very interesting. Maybe it's not, you know, your standard Fangraphs reader who is, you know, checking their fantasy team players. And maybe it's actually major league organizations looking up their own minor leaguers. That's very interesting. So you I, I, wonder that, I wonder how you get to the, the full amount, though. I mean... You know, because they have their own proprietary systems, too. So if they're in the office, they can easily just call up whatever they've got and, and they wouldn't be on fan graphs. So you might be scouts in the field or something. Um, but, you know, would you would you get I mean, we have a we have a pretty robust uh, readership at fan graphs. Would you would you get enough from a few guys in a few front offices checking out a guy 
uh, to to push it to the top. So I, I I take that back. It probably probably couldn't get there with just uh, some front office guys checking out a guy. But I mean, I, I otherwise there must have been a maybe some a post on um, like an SBN blog. Maybe someone um, that follow that's writing about the Astros thinks that uh, Chase Juan Lin should come up and wrote a piece about him. You know, maybe he'd be a better option than I don't know JD Martinez or whoever they've got in the outfield yeah, right now. Carousel in the outfield. So who knows who's coming up next in that rotation? Right. So maybe maybe Lynn is coming up next for Paredes. I mean, Paredes <laughs> still striking out a lot and. Uh, doesn't really offer a ton of value, like real-life value, uh, with the stick. I mean, obviously, fancy players are interested in his speed, but maybe Lynn's on his way up. I mean, Lynn has no power, really, um, but he does walk a lot, and he doesn't strike out much. So there's an outside chance he could hit for a good average and steal 20, you know, 20 bases in a full season. So um, I guess it's a name to watch out for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think now I really am curious and want to Google their names after the show and see if there was actually an article posted about these guys that may have led to tons of people searching these names. And Tim Corcoran, I think Tim Corcoran is the weirdest because he hasn't pitched in 2007. He's a journeyman starter. He's 35 years old. Why on earth would anybody be searching for this guy? (laughs) (laughs) It makes no sense. All right, let's get to some actual interesting players. But the problem is, is that all you Fangraphs readers are searching for the same damn players every single day. Stop it. Start searching for somebody different. So today, every single player on the top search for list are guys that we've recently discussed. So we're going to do something a bit differently today. And, you know, I am going to throw out each player's name. All you're going to do is give me a couple of words on each player. No in-depth analysis required. Just a couple of words. What comes to mind when you think of these players? It doesn't even have to be baseball-related. All right, so currently the most right. for player right now is Dominic Brown. You know, go. Uh, post-type bloomer. My response is, really? <laughs> well, I mean, this is the type of breakout that although – you know, we may have predicted just because he was a breakout candidate, not to this degree. So this is an, an absolute really. Uh, next guy, Chris Davis. Oh man, I don't want to use the same one again. Um, I think it's perfectly acceptable given this. Well, no, you know what? I think that uh, he is a, a testament to the power of having one elite tool. Okay. That because I mean. He, Powers is an elite tool. He didn't. He couldn't even take a walk in the minor leagues. He didn't take a walk until this year. Uh, he struck out way too much. Uh, they tried to play him at D at third base, and then you know he's okay at first, I guess. Um, and he turned all of that around just by being so powerful that now pitchers are afraid of him, so he walks more. Um, you know, he's, I guess he's gotten better at being selective and making contact, but I think it all comes from his one elite tool. All right. My response is 50 home runs. Next, Tyler Skaggs. <laughs> uh, future bust. Oh, interesting. So you don't, you don't believe that he's actually uh, a mixed league sleeper and, and potential pickup, huh? No, I don't, I don't really believe in him. Um, you know, 
I tried to after his first start and, um, you know, still felt like I liked Gossman better. And, of course, Gossman rewarded me with a stinker the next time out. But, I, you know, if I could have either of those guys, it's clear in my mind I want Gossman. Um, I just think that his combination of velocity and uh, that, that changeup is, is way better than anything Skaggs got. To me, Skaggs is 88-89 with the fastball. Um, sometimes the command is there, sometimes it's not. He's got a great curveball, um, and the changeup is okay sometimes. So um, I kind of see like a Barry Zito. Ooh, that's not very complimentary. All well, right. Yeah, and I don't even mean I don't even mean vintage Barry Zito. I mean like like today's Barry Zito. That's even worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking of the Giants, next up is Tim Lincecum. Uh. Oi, oi vey is my yeah, response. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, 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 closer. <laughs> how about Matt Cain? Uh, I'm working on a piece. I just interviewed him, and I'm working on a piece, and I think it's, I think it's just a slight adjustment he needs. I, I think he's – I know that he was a little bit uh, overvalued by some traditional stats in the past, uh, but I think he's a very good pitcher, maybe not an ace, and he's going to be a very good pitcher again. All right, Miguel Cabrera, who routinely, every single day, he's on this top 10 list of most searched for players. So clearly, fantasy owners and readers uh, have a man crush on him. He's actually, uh, what I love about him so much is the sort of combination of contact and power. And it's what we used to love about Albert Pujols. And it's what I'm, you know, staring at, at Puig and trying to figure out if he's going to do it. Because traditionally, strikeouts come with power, um, and our game is showing more and more strikeouts. So a guy that can, that can hit for power and cover the plate you know, is so exciting. And, and Cabrera is like a Vada with a little bit more power. So that's, uh, uh, that's, that's, like, a, that's like an archetype. That's like, a, for, in fancy in particular, it's just perfect. I mean, we don't care that he's, his defense at third is no good. Miguel Cabrera, two triple crown seasons in a row? Question <laughs> mark. You know what? It's actually very possible, which is a scary thought. Yeah, he's. Uh, I mean, it is that is the combination that you need to do the triple crown because in order to have the great batting average and to continually drive in the most runs, you need to make a lot of contact. Um, and, and of course, powerful contact to get the home run title. So I think it's always been with him is always the question of does he have enough to win the home run title every year? And, you know, home runs are a little bit down. I, I, I don't know. Actually, home runs are fine on sort of a league level. But for some reason, I feel like there are fewer, you know, guys that will fewer hit. Chris Davises. Huh? Fewer Chris Davises. Exactly. There's fewer 40 pluses. There's fewer like elite home run tools. So. Um, I think he does have a chance, yeah. Uh, all right, next guy we've already talked about, Yasiel Puig, who I am just going to repeat over and over again when I go to sleep. I'll be dreaming of that name. <laughs> I, I think I need to record that name and so I can just listen to it all day because I can't get enough of it. That's pretty funny. I, I feel like, like um, one thing I did notice about him last night, I, you know, for a long time I, I thought of him as a big muscle-bound slugger. Uh, so I've been surprised to see some of his uh, stolen base totals this year. Um, and I, there was this picture going around of uh, Puig like, making a throw, and his arm is sort of bent back, and his bicep looks as big as my head. 
And that was like the sort of one of the early pictures of him after he got signed. So that just burned in my head this idea that he was just a big slugger. Uh, and then I was super excited to see the contact rates, thinking here's a 40 homer guy with great contact rates. Uh, but of course, you know, I think since then he's lost 20 pounds. I mean, that's what it looks like. He does not look like the same guy in that picture. Um, and you know, he's just a big guy. He's not, he's not small now, but he's just a, now he looks like an athletic guy who, who can do all these things and, and steal bases and hit home runs and make contact. So I, I'm actually happy about it. I mean, you don't want your slugger to look like Ron Gant because he might start hitting like Ron Gant. All right. Uh, last guy on the list is Matt Moore, who I don't think we've actually discussed very much since the article I wrote about Matt Moore being the sell highest guy out there. Uh, and he hasn't exactly blown up yet. And so final thoughts on Matt Moore. Yeah, I think, um, I think he will uh, <clears throat> find a way to – to, to beat his rest of season BABIP and uh, strand rate projections um, just based on that, you know, Tampa Bay, you know, career year magic. So um, I know that it, that it doesn't really fit with a lot of the analysis that we do here, but uh, uh, I'm not as sell high on him still. All right. Breaking news. We have a new most searched for player at this very moment. All of a sudden, Albert Pujols has skyrocketed to the top. Is it because we have a new article that has been posted on Albert Pujols? No, we do not have a new article on Fangraphs posted on Albert Pujols. So somebody is either worried about him or is wanting to buy low. Is Albert Pujols somebody to consider buying low, or is he just going to be meh all season? And do I regret trading Adam LaRoche and Stalin Castro for him in the 15-team labor league this year? The answer to my question so far is yes, I do regret. <laughs> Asked and answered. <laughs> but um, I'd be regretting this all year. Yeah, well, uh, the I think what happened was that um, uh, Dave Cameron tweeted out a link to uh, his... He, maybe Dave Cameron's working on an article because he, he tweeted out a link to uh, Albert's ISO um, since it peaked in 2009 at 330 331, and it's just gone down. Down, every, down, down. 331, 284, 242, 231 last year. Right now it's 165. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's there's things to point to. There's uh, his declining uh, health, I guess. Uh, he uh, he, hurt, he he has sort of plantar fasciitis uh, issues, um, and you can see it in the stolen base totals. So he's definitely not trying to run on the base paths as much, and he's He's limping around a little bit. Um, but, I mean, prorated out 25 homers and the batted ball, uh, the batted ball, like batting battering average on balls in place suggests that he could have a better average. So if he finishes uh, hitting 280 with a 25 homer uh, pace, then, uh, I mean, it won't be, it, it won't be one of the most catastrophic busts of all time. It, it'll be, Last year, minus five homers. And, you know, last year, minus five homers, I feel like he can do that in a good August week. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think I'm more confident that his BABIP and his batting average rebounds than his power. I mean, he might just be a, you know, a 12% homer per fly ball ratio guy now. Uh, again, it's it's two months, 
and he does have eight home runs. So, you know, a hot week with four home runs isn't, I mean, that's not out of the question. And then suddenly he'll be basically back on a typical hour pace. But just given the injuries that we know he's playing through, you can't be sure that the power is going to rebound. But that bad bib is only 245, and his batted ball profile is basically the exact same as it's always been. So you got to assume that the batting average does rebound. Yeah, I mean, he, he is striking out a tiny bit more uh, than he used to. But, um, you know, I don't think I'm – not, uh, I'm not ready to call him dead. That would be tragic. <laughs> All right, let's get to something that arose last week. Uh, so Eno and I are both playing in the Tout Wars 15-team mixed draft league this year, the inaugural – season. And I was uh, checking out some of my competitors' teams for some trade opportunities, and I noticed one team was starting three injured players. So at first I'm like, okay, well, maybe there was some extenuating circumstances where he, maybe he was away, maybe he just didn't get a chance to replace those players, or he didn't like any of the replacements, and he just preferred to take zeros. Maybe those guys were going to be returning very soon. So I checked out this guy's transaction history, and sure enough, he has not made a transaction since the end of April. So for all intents and purposes, somebody invited into the prestigious Tout Wars League who paid an entry fee left his team for dead. This shocks me. And uh, I, I talked about this with uh, Peter Krotzer, who is Ask Roto Man, and he's the, uh, the commissioner of the league. He's also one of the founding members of Tout Wars LLC who uh, is the, you know, the founding body that comes up with all the rules. I brought the issue to him, uh, and what I suggested was a whole process to basically uh, robotically uh, take, ha- take ownership of this guy's team and, and replace injured players in, in such a way that makes it fair that it's not a dead team and other teams – can't just get free points passing up this guy in the counting categories. So, Eno, I told you to read my article. Where do you stand on what should be done to handle a dead team? Because, I mean, this is an issue that probably arises in many leagues. Uh, You know, I commissioned my own local league for over 10 years, and I've had dead teams, and this is why I've had to come up with my own process to deal with it. Yeah. And did you have any clue that this team was dead? No, who, I mean, I'd love to know who. I'm going to go look for it in a second. But um, the uh, the the thing is, um, it's really t- it's really tough. And yeah, I've commissioned a couple of leagues uh, for five, six years now, and we we do have this problem. But um, you know, I don't, just practically, I don't want to go into um, a person's team and make make decisions often. Um, so I basically in the past just frozen. Um, a team's roster with their, you know, non-injured players in. Of course, you know, you run into things as, as the season progresses, someone else gets injured. And uh, so someone who, especially in the head-to-head league, if someone is playing them early and they and you've frozen the roster with people, you know, healthy, and then they someone else plays them later when they're, they're injured players in the, you know. It's really, there's, the, it's really, there's no winner when that happens because, other than who, you know whoever plays that person at their worst moment, but um, the the as a as a as a commission, I'm usually hands off. So my instinct is always to say, let this issue resolve itself. 
um, you know, without without my intervention. Like I want to have the least amount of control possible over the situation. So, I mean, clearly there's no perfect solution here because no matter what you propose, there's always going to be a downside to anything. If you leave the team alone and you say, all right, there's no intervention here, we're just leaving it be, but it's not fair. I mean, you, you mentioned the head-to-head. That's something that I didn't even think about. I mean, if a team faces the that team in a head-to-head league when he's starting five injured players, that's an automatic win for the week, and that's just not fair to the rest of the owners. And, and it can significantly affect the standings. And I just think that the proposal that I suggested where you mechanically replace injured players just to ensure that he has a healthy roster, I think that is the most fair just so teams below him in the counting stats don't earn easy points and and jump ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in in the case of a a very competitive sort of uh, four stakes kind of league like Tout is, I I could see the point. Um, I... uh, there, it it would need to be something that probably went into the um, uh, constitution and was decided upon way before we started this season. It's, yeah, this is true. It sounds a little bit too much like changing rules mid-season. Although it's a specific case that it's not like not like making a ruling about a player or you know it's uh but it 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 does take players out of the player pool. Um, that would otherwise be in there. So it does actually affect all of us. And, and, you know, let's say I didn't want a shortstop this week, but he needed a shortstop. So they picked, you know, they picked a shortstop up for him, but then my shortstop goes down. Like I just lost this Drupal Cabrera, you know, and then I would want to pick up the shortstop that the dead team would have picked up. So it does take players out of the player pool. Um, and of course, those are players that maybe should be out of the player pool because that that player should be playing. But you don't know what player he would have picked, and I mean, you're you're making guesses and and you're hoping that you're doing something. You're you're kind of trying to be a replacement level owner, um, which I think is uh, admirable, and I like the idea behind what you're doing. But I think that there would be a lot of griping unless it was already in the constitution and already sort of agreed upon before the season started. Yeah, I could definitely see both sides. I mean, a league like Tout, it's very hard to implement such a uh, a rule and such a process midseason to deal with this type of owner. But you don't expect this to happen. You expect in a in uh, a prestigious league like Tout Wars, where you have to get invited into the league, there are many many people out there clamoring to get in. And you know, I mean, me and you were both super super excited to be invited into this league and i just cannot believe that a team would completely abandon uh or an owner would completely abandon their team just given the pride and the reputation that's on the line plus it costs money it's not like this is a free league there was actually an entry fee involved in this league so it shocks me yeah uh well you know a lot of those entry fees were probably covered by organizations so um (laughs) Maybe someone didn't have their own money on the line. I think if someone had their own $100 on the line, they'd probably um, still be in there fighting for it. Possibly. Um, it's, uh, you'd think they'd do it, on, do it for pride. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're also... I think I can see the mental gymnastics that might lead you to uh, 
this specific uh, dropping out of the specific leagues because we're not we're not in the tout you know we're in the sort of farm system for tout like we're in the tout mixed league and it's not tout mixed league one it's tout mixed league two and it's not an auction it was a draft so um i was excited and i still do like to be associated with tout and i do really want to get into the main tout for sure um but uh you know I could see how someone might say, ah, it's not even real tout, you know? All right, let's move along to uh, an injury situation in Cleveland that you actually mentioned uh, just before. Is Drupal Cabrera going down with a quad injury? You own him in tout wars. And sure enough, I own his replacement, Micah Velas. So do we think that Cabrera is going to be hitting the DL? And is Micah Velas worth picking up in a 12-team mixed? league well it's really looking like he's gonna hit the dl um so i'm depressed <laughs> and and you know what actually last thursday i think you mentioned how you needed middle infielders well now you need them even more desperately the tables have turned yeah it's unfortunate when you get hit with so many injuries and then your replacements are injured and it's just like you want to cry and you need tissues <laughs> you dick. No, uh, I, I have the same situation. My middle infielders have been going down like flies as well. So, <laughs> man, I just got Neil Walker back. Uh, I don't know. I, if, yeah, Michael Velas would be nice if he was sitting there on my wire right now because I I would definitely just slot him in. I think that you know there's there's little functional difference in terms of fantasy between the two. I mean, Cabrera has a little more power. Maybe he'll steal a couple more bases, but not really. I think. It's the power that separates them. And, and Aviles can, you know, if he played a full season, would be a 280, you know, 10, 10 20 guy or something. And uh, Cabrera is probably a 275, you know, 15 or 20 and, and 20 guy. So, um, yeah, Aviles would have been a great a great pickup. I'm sitting, here, I'm sitting here looking at what looks like a deep league situation. So, it uh, looks like my best choices are uh, Brendan Ryan. Um, well, hey, I just dropped Jeff Keppinger. Uh, you can go pick him up. <laughs> He's shortstop eligible? Um, no, but he qualifies at like every other infield position. Do you have? Do you need MI or do you need a shortstop? I need a shortstop. Which uh, means- that was the position I was in. I've been going through so many shortstops this year. How did you solve it? Uh, I, I lucked into Mike Avilas, but right. er, before that, uh, I was running with Alex Gonzalez. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I don't even remember who else I, I've run through, but it's it's a really sad state of affairs, that shortstop pool. This league is definitely, you know, there's some people talk about the line between, you know, where uh, position depth means anything, position scarcity means anything. In a 12-team league, the worst shortstops are still playable and they're all right. You know, this is a 15-team league, league with uh, shortstop and MI. And, uh, you know, you can't tell me position scarcity doesn't mean anything when I'm looking at Freddie Galvis, Brendan Ryan, Nick Punto, and Jose Iglesias as my best pickups. Yeah, I know Adani Echeverria has been a free agent all season. Ruben Tejada was, but now he's injured. So it's just guys who offer you literally nothing. You're basically banking on hopefully a 280 average, maybe like one home run and one steal in the month. That's just like hoping for a good week, you know, just like, just stay decent just for 
two weeks, and then maybe I'll get Cabrera back, and everything will be all right. But just play every day and don't bat zero. And I'll right, bet- exactly because they might. I mean, Cabrera, I have it sorted for like a two week period just to. I do actually, you know, I do sort in small samples. It just as an aside because I have some guys that talk to me about, you know, oh he's hot and whatever. I, I don't believe in being hot, but what I want to know is who's playing. So, you know, the, my biggest sort is, uh, you know, last two weeks by at-bats. At ba- yeah, exactly. I always sort by at-bats as well just because playing time is a key. That's all that really matters at this point. Right. I just want to see who's playing. And, and uh, I mean, there are guys who are, who are actually playing, but um, so I don't I, want any of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it, it's really, really sad. So Mike Avilas... Uh, I, I do agree. I think in a 12-team mix, if you're as Dribble Cabrera has just gone down, I think he's a worthy addition. I mean, he's a you know a, a 10 home run, 15 stolen base guy. Uh, obviously, that's not going to produce a ton of value, but that's certainly playable. And he might hit atop the Indians lineup, which is a pretty good lineup. So if he hits in the two hole, that's uh, it's pretty good for run scored. He'll get some additional at bats. So I think he'll be a, a decent contributor uh, all around. All right, let's move along to that hyped pitching prospect I mentioned in the intro. Zach Wheeler is finally going to, or is expected at least, to make his debut in New York. Uh, he's expected to be called up during the June 14th to June 16th series at home against the Cubs. And this is a guy who originally scouts thought he was going to be better than Matt Harvey. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a pitcher now who is coming up that's supposed to be better than Matt Harvey. Obviously, the scouts were wrong so far about Matt Harvey, and he's even better than they thought. But you think Zach Wheeler is going to make enough of an impact to be worth a, a mixed league ad, 12-team leagues? Yeah, I do think I do think he'll... I mean, we don't know how he'll adjust. and I, I mean, I do think he'll be a mixed leaguer in due time. Um, and so that means he's a he's a mixed leaguer now in terms of people who are looking for upside and you know need a pitcher. So I do think he's interesting. Um, and I and I can see how looking at his minor league numbers that you might say that he's looked better than Harvey uh, at times because he's had the same sort of high strikeout rates, but his walk rates have sometimes been better. You know, Harvey's walk rates in the minors were pretty much solidly four plus uh, per nine. And uh, Wheelers have, have also been worse than average, but they haven't um, they haven't been consistently four plus per nine. So right now he's walking three seven per nine. If you want to talk percentages, he's 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 walking fewer than ten percent, and he's done that a couple of times. So um, there is something to be said for that. He might have slightly better control. And when you look at Harvey's bad starts, it's not always. A lot of walks, but there there have been missed spots. Um, so interesting with Wheeler, they made some uh, they made some changes to his uh, delivery this year. He's pitching in a terrible offensive environment in terms of uh, uh, Las Vegas uh, for AAA for the Mets. So the fact that he's uh, that he's not giving up more than uh, a homer and a quarter per per nine is good actually, and in fact you can actually shave a little bit off of that uh, ERA that you're seeing because he won't, he won't be a guy. I don't think that'll give up more than a homer per game in the, in the majors. So if you're, if you're saying, Hey, he's not that special three, eight, six ERA, one thirty whip in Las Vegas, that's special. 
I'm just concerned about that control just because Matt Harvey, I don't think anybody expected him to take that step forward with his control that he has this year. Uh, and Wheeler's control is, you know, basically around the same walk rates that Harvey is posted. And they're not good. I mean, you don't really want a pitcher who in the minors has been in the high threes to low fours most of his career. So, I mean, that basically translates to a four-plus walk rate in the majors. Uh, obviously, the strikeout rate is pretty good, but it's not otherworldly. So at this point, I think he's more of a wait-and-see in mixed leagues, maybe a streamer. Obviously, the strikeout potential is intriguing. He pitches in a good pitcher's park. Doesn't have a great offense behind him to give him wins. So I don't know. I, I wouldn't jump at him, and he's probably going to be super hyped. And if he's not already on a roster in your league, he's probably going to go for a very high fad bid that I wouldn't be making myself. So I, if you're desperate, obviously take a shot. But I just can't imagine he's going to come anywhere close to the impact that Harvey has had so far. I, I don't think his control is going to significantly improve so suddenly like Harvey's has, which I think has surprised a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say why that's working for Harvey. I mean, obviously, uh, he did the secret sauce where he, he, he focused on strike one. He got batters to reach and turn balls into strikes. Um and, you know, all that works because he got strike one, I think. Um, and you never know. I mean, Wheeler could follow that same magic. Uh, I don't know why it wouldn't work in the minor leagues. But, um, you know, uh, it's not like Harvey has true talent, elite control. So, you know, anybody who's thinking about Harvey in terms of long-term keeper leagues, I, I'd consider it a lock that he'll have below average control in some years of his career. Um, well, how much do you care about that? I don't know. I mean, you Darvish is great and he has below average control probably. All right, let's move along to Milwaukee where I guess it surprised some, it surprised me, especially because I just traded for him, but Ricky Weeks suddenly has competition in the form of Scooter Jeanette, another fantastic name who was called up yesterday. And it was said that Weeks and Jeanette would form a a loose platoon. And uh, considering Scooter is a lefty and Weeks is a righty, that means that this is not a very good thing for Weeks owners. Although maybe you could look at it as a good thing because Weeks owners probably have been suffering all season long and couldn't wait for an excuse to get him out of their lineup. But of course, what does Ricky Weeks do? He homered and just missed another home run. I was watching the game and that was inches away from being another home run. So is this platoon really going to happen? Is Scooter Jeanette really going to take away playing time from Ricky Weeks, or is Ricky Weeks a prime by-low guy? I, you know, I, I don't know how, in fantasy, I don't know how great of a by-low guy um, Weeks is, just because he's, like I said before, I'm always totally paranoid about my batting average, and he's the kind of guy that... Um, when even when he gets right, he won't be showing a good batting average. And really, this is if you look at at Scooter's uh, track record, there's almost nothing that he does better than Ricky Weeks. Um, I mean, yes, okay, he strikes out less. He strikes out less, but he walks a lot less. He walks he walks less than average, and he's never, you know, over a hundred plate appearances, never walked uh, even close to average. He has. Uh, to no power, no power. Once he hit double A, he 
didn't put up a 100 ISO. Um, and he steals bases, but I mean, you know, uh, 2011, he stole 13. He was caught 10 times. Uh, last year he stole 11 and was caught five. This year he stole eight and was caught three. So I don't see that as an elite, uh, base runner, you know, doesn't have power, doesn't walk and is basically holding on to that skill, which is contact. And it's not a elite contact rate. I mean, he's, he's striking out 14 and a half times percent of the time in triple a, that'll probably turn into something like 18% in the majors. And that's below, that's below average, which is 20%, but it's not like, Oh my God, look at that guy. He makes contact. It's not, you know, Marco Scudero. So, I mean, basically we're looking at a guy that could maybe be Marco Scudero and is probably not going to be. So Ricky Weeks last year, I checked out because I remember he started off slow last year and I checked out his first two months and his stats over the first two months of last year were almost identical to what they were this year. Strikeout rate way up, only hit a couple of home runs, batting below 200. And we all know what happened after that. He got hot and he rebounded and he returned to typical Ricky Weeks. He still finished with 21 home runs, although he only batted 230. That included basically a 260 to 270 rest of season after that slow start. And I think he's fully capable of doing exactly that for the rest of the year. I mean, aside from the increased strikeout rate, everything else in his profile looks completely normal. He's not popping it up a significant amount. His line drive rate is actually up. His power, you know, slightly down from a home run per fly ball perspective, but still reasonable. And did only take another a home run or two, basically, to get up to a normal uh, level. So I think, especially in OBP leagues, and I don't know if you saw the trade that I made because I don't think it was really publicized, but I traded Drew Stubbs for Ricky Weeks. And uh, in an OBP league, he makes for an even better buy low, I think, just because obviously nobody really wants a 240 hitter in a batting average league. Uh, but he has a good walk rate, so his OBP is going to be pretty good for a second baseman. So I think he's a good buy low, and I don't think Scooter Jeanette is really going to pose any problem, especially after what Weeks did last night. Yeah, I missed that that trade. That was a great trade. I would uh, never have given you Ricky Weeks for <laughs> your stuffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I didn't even propose that specific trade. That was basically a counter to some other uh, offers that I had made, and I was shocked myself. And and considering I needed middle infielders, I jumped all over that. I haven't started Drew Stubbs all season long. He's been on my bench. So, yeah, that was a trade I had to make. All right, let's move along to uh, another struggler in Ike Davis. And here's a guy who they've been talking about possibly demoting for the past, like, two weeks. And I think he's maybe homered once since. But aside from that, he, he really hasn't done much. I, I see a, a blurb here saying that, oh, he's gone 5 for 15 in his last four games. Big whoopee. But, I mean, the whole threat of demotion is is making me uh, a little afraid to say he's a good by low. And and so I really don't know what to recommend here, considering he's striking out at a, a much higher rate than last year, and his power is way down. So what do we make of Ike Davis? Yeah, he's doing all the wrong things, too. I mean... Uh, he's swinging more, but, uh, you know, just making and making contact less. Um, and, uh, there's just really not much to like. I mean, the thing is that, uh, swing strike rate is probably getting close to, to stabilizing. So 
you know, you're looking at a 13.3% swing strike rate. I mean, that's that's going to lead to about a 30% strikeout rate. Um, he's got uh, his walk rate is down too. It used to be double digits all the time, and now it's 9%, which is just a tick above um, average. So, I, I, I would, I, if not for that walk rate, I would be tempted to say that in on base percentage leagues, he's a bit of a buy low in deeper on base percentage leagues because. I don't think that they're going to send him down. I mean, if you send him down, you're bringing up a guy like Josh Satin, um, who uh, is not really a uh, doesn't really have the upside of a major league third base, first baseman. Uh, Ike did hit 32 homers last year and had a 308 on base percentage. I mean, it's not great, but it's good enough. And with good defense, you know, he was he was a worthwhile player last year. Um, And uh, so, you know. They they don't have a, a ready made solution if they if they move Lucas Duda from from <laughs> to first base. You read my mind. I literally just typed in Lucas Duda's name to see if he's played first base in the majors. I'm, I'm sure he has. Yeah, yeah. He six games last year, 43 the year before. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, and they and they've had him fill in for Ike when he was hurt, and um, he's a terrible outfielder, so he might be an okay first baseman and might be better for his, uh, for his value. And it probably long-term he's a first baseman. So, you know, it is what people are talking about, but, uh, the problem with that is that, um, you know, if Ike Davis goes down and then it's good again, now you're moving Duda back to the outfield. And I mean, you're not really, and you know, what's the only thing that is going to help throwing Ike back to the minor leagues. The only thing that's going to help is, is his confidence. I mean, it's not, it's not going to – I don't think it's going to help him to get right against inferior pitchers. You know what I mean? I mean, if he's got problems against this level of competition, he needs to fix it against this level of competition. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a former player. Um, I mean, I, I played in high school and was really bad. So I never really had any confidence. So, you know, perhaps there is something to getting him down there, getting him confident, getting him swinging good, getting him not thinking so much of the play – and then bring him back up to face major league pitchers. Maybe there is something there, um, but uh, I mean, just right now, if you watch him, he's he's at, you know out on his front foot too much. He's lunging at the ball, uh, and he still has. He's always had that terrible swing, but in the past, he's managed to make it work by having a good eye and swinging at the right pitches. But uh, right now, he's just got that terrible swing and a terrible approach, and it just it looks all terrible. So I'm holding on to him in my uh, 15 team keeper league where. He would be uh, if he if he did turn it around. It's on base percentage. It's 15 teams, and if he did turn around, he'd be a final round keeper for me. So um, there's something there. But I every day think about dropping him, and I would not hold it against anyone. So basically, for the most part, if I mean, if you're in a 12 team mixed league, it, it's not so crazy to drop him. If you're in a deeper league, kind of you have no choice. Hold on to him. Cross your fingers. But if you don't own him, he's not somebody really to look toward buying low just because there's too much risk. Is that basically what you're saying? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'd say that. And yeah, I, I yeah, I can't I have an eighteen team on base percentage league where I'm starting Justin Morneau or moving Trumbo from the left field to first base. Um and uh you know the the other guy's a Mets fan and I know it because I, I hired him once to to write for my Mets blog. So um <laughs> I don't think uh, I, I think that I probably shouldn't even try. But sometimes I think about trying. Um, if it doesn't cost me much, then maybe I'll do it. But uh, um, you know, it's really deep rosters. I mean, we're talking about forty-man rosters, eighteen teams. So 
that's that's where I, he starts to become interesting to me. Yeah, and really, this is a guy who's upside. It's only really two categories. Because at best, what is he, a 250 hitter? He's not going to score a lot of runs. Because his on-base percentage isn't going to be great. The lineup isn't that good. So he's a guy who will give you home runs when he's right. And if he ever gets back into the middle of the order, RBIs. So I, I just don't think his upside uh, justifies going after him as a buy low. But, I mean, if he was dropped in your league and you're desperate for some power, then by all means, give him a shot. But other than that, I think he's a hold and pray. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, people are when people look bad at the plate, you know, when people are struggling, people say, oh, he looks so terrible at the plate, he doesn't look like a major leaguer. Okay, well, that's what, how he looks now. And then hopefully he'll make some adjustments and he'll look like the old Ike Davis again. Yeah. And, you know, then he'll look good at the plate. So, you know, just like looking at him now and saying he looks terrible and why would you own him? I think ignores the fact that at one point, at, at two points, maybe three points of his career, and he's been, you know, he's been here three years, he's been ownable and been a useful player. So you're saying that this guy who hit 32 homers last year, you know, hit 300 the year before, uh, and probably has a baseline that's closer to his, his, um, his, his, his rookie season when he hit about 260 with, you know, maybe full season 20-plus homers. That kind of guy is not useful in your league. I mean, look at Adam LaRoche. Adam LaRoche uh, looked like he was old. He was done. He was done. You know, why own him? You know, beginning of the season. And now he's Adam LaRoche again. So we don't exactly know who Ike Davis is yet, but he's better than this. Yeah, and the whole, oh, he looks lost at the plate. Yeah, well, of course. Usually when a hitter is struggling, for the most part, they're going to look bad. But all you're doing is describing what's already happened. That doesn't mean it's going to continue. Right. And that's the key point is that I don't care that he looks lost currently. Look what he's done in the past. He's probably not going to look lost all season long, and he's probably going to fix whatever mechanical issues and whatever problems he's having. It's just a matter of when that happens. And if that does happen – if that upside of power and RBIs is enough to warrant uh, trying to acquire him or keep him on your fantasy team. All right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.